0: Well, Father, we thank you this morning once again for your amazing grace that you've poured out to us and extended to us in your son, Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness and life in his name. We thank you for the privilege of being called your children, brothers and sisters in Christ. We gather here to worship you this morning, to praise you, to hear from you, and to do that together. And Father, as we meet here now around your word, we pray that you would speak into our lives, into our hearts, that you would continue to shape us and use us for your purposes. Help us to to hear what you want us to hear this morning and to obey it, to submit to it, and to be different because we've encountered you through your word this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. How many of you at one time, if you're a little older or currently, if you're in school, love or loved math class? All right. Okay. We're not going to do a whole personality test thing based on that. All right. But math class, that was something that kind of baffled me a little bit. They did a couple of things. They would go to great, they'd take all this time and they'd go to great pains to teach me these equations and would finally get these equations, I thought, memorized or figured out. I could figure out how to handle these equations. And then the teacher would turn, and she would pull the nasty trick of doing word problems. Remember those? And we'd be like, hold it, I thought this was math class. (laughs) What about all those things we just memorized? And then she would tell a story. And we had to try and figure out how in the world all of those math equations showed up in this story and how to figure out the answer she was looking for. Anybody ever get confused by that? Some people love word problems, some people love the the theory behind it, but it's the bringing the two together at times that's the issue, isn't it? Bringing real life to the theory and bringing theory to the real life, that can be a challenge with word problems and math, can't it? All right, absolutely, so I'm not alone, all right. That can be a problem beyond the classroom. That can go from math to something that is even much more significant in our lives. There are times, as followers of Christ, that as we study the Word of God, we can end up having word problems. Problems with the Word. And by that I mean this. We can study the Word of God and we can get all kinds of good, solid, true information from it. And we can have it correct. We can have it just write down. All the, all the T's crossed and the I's dotted, we can have that correct. The problem sometimes then is taking that good information and plugging it into every day. And now it's Thursday afternoon at work or at school or Saturday morning at the arena and I'm facing a situation and I'm trying to figure out how did that information somehow work in here? Anybody ever have that trouble? That can happen to us, can't it? Well, this fall we are going to take... Uh, this approach. Those word problems show us, by the way, that we do understand the information well because we now know how to apply it. And when it comes to the study of the word, it's never about information, is it? It's about changed lives. It's about renewed minds and transformed lives and, and living differently. Well, this fall we are going to take some time and we're going to be studying the next few weeks through the first few chapters of Genesis. We are planning in November to spend the month of November walking through the book of Ruth together. But before we get to these studies, I wanted to come back and wrap up what we've done this summer with a final message in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We've covered a lot of material. We've had our interruptions over the summer and that kind of thing, but we've covered a lot of material, haven't we, on this important topic. We've studied who the Holy Spirit is. We've studied what it is He does. What He does for us. What He does in us. What He does among us. What He does through us. We've studied all of that. The question is, because that's not just supposed to be information, what do we do with it all? Do we just say, now we know some really good, important information about the Holy Spirit, who He is and what He does? Or... Do we have a way to figure out how to take all that we've learned and plug it into life so that as we're walking with God, we're walking with God together, we're facing different circumstances and situations as we go, we can see how best to live this out. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We want to know what do we do with this information? How do we respond to and relate to the Holy Spirit? As we've been going along, a few times we've mentioned that quote from A.W. Tozer who said that if if the Holy Spirit was removed from the the church in the first century in the book of Acts, 95% of what they did would come to a complete end, and they would all know it. But he said, if the church in North America today had the Holy Spirit removed, 95% of what we do would just keep on going and no one would know. And we don't want that to be us, do we? Absolutely not. We don't want to fall into that trap. So how do we apply what we've learned? We're going to look at that together this morning as we consider how to respond to the Holy Spirit. And as we do, there are four things that we are told in Scripture when it comes to our response to the Holy Spirit. You know, we've already talked about how we keep on praying because He's praying with us and for us and those kind of things. But what, what are four things that we are told about our response to the Spirit? Two of them are negative. Don't do this in responding to the Spirit. And two of them are positive. Instead, do these two. So we're going to begin by uh, turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to begin with the two negatives and then we'll end with the two positives. So Paul tells us we are not to respond to the Holy Spirit this way. The first is do not quench the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul is wrapping up this first letter to the church in Thessalonica. And as he concludes this letter, he has some some kind of point-form instructions for them, doesn't he? He says, I want you to remember these things. And he walks through how they're to live, how they're to act, how they're to interact. And he talks about these things in in kind of point-form manner. And we can scoot through them. And we can kind of get the gist of what he says, But we can often miss a couple of them. Because right in the middle in verse 19, you have these five words, do not quench the spirit. Now, it's easy for us to read that and just keep going. The question is, what does it mean to quench the spirit? Because apparently it's possible to do that. Otherwise, he wouldn't warn them against it. So how do we quench the spirit? If we can figure that out, then we know how not to quench the spirit. So what does that all mean? Well, this phrase could also be translated, and maybe some of your translations here this morning have some of these phrases. Stop putting out the Spirit's fire. Stop putting out the Spirit's fire. Stop extinguishing His lamp. That kind of idea. Don't dump water on what the Holy Spirit is cooking up there. Don't throw a wet blanket on the fire that He's got started. Do not quench the Spirit. Don't work against what He's doing in you and in others. The context here talks about what they're doing personally, but if you look at it, it's what they're doing together. How they're walking through this together. So this is don't quench the Spirit in you, but don't quench the Spirit in others as well. It's not only just about me, it's about what are we doing in our response to the Holy Spirit. Now over here this morning, I have two glasses of water. It's just just clear tap water, all right? Nothing fancy in it, nothing at all. And what I'm going to do this morning is I am simply going to, if I can get this package to cooperate and open, there we go. I am going to put some Alka-Seltzer in both of these glasses. Alright. Now, can you see what's going on here? I have put Alka-Seltzer in both of these glasses. So, so, would you argue with me that there's Alka-Seltzer in both glasses? No, it's there. What's the difference? In this one, it's been freed up to do what it's there to do. In this one, it's been stifled. It's been wrapped up. It's been quenched. It's in the water, but it's being prevented from doing what it's actually there to do. You see that? Sometimes, if we're not careful, that's how we can live when it comes to having the Holy Spirit within us. We have the Holy Spirit, but we are to allow Him to work freely in us. To walk freely work f- uh, freely through our lives we're not to fight his control over us we are not to fight his leading as he gives us wisdom in our choices and decisions we're not to fight his gifting and re- refuse to serve we're to grow to mature to become like jesus that's why paul tells timothy in second timothy one he says fan into flame the gift you've been given what the Spirit has started there, you flame that, you fan that, that into flame. Don't quench it. Don't stifle it or restrict it. We also must allow Him to work freely among us in somebody else's life. So as we use the gifts that He's given us, He uses those gifts to work and accomplish something in someone else's life. And as He's working in the life of another believer transforming their lives by renewing their minds, showing them things, changing things, and using them with the gifts they've been given, we are not to stifle that and throw a wet blanket on that and keep them from serving and growing. We are not to quench the Spirit. He says, use your gifts and let others use theirs as well. Encourage their growth. Do not work against what the Spirit is doing in your life or in someone else's. Do not quench the Spirit. He's there. He's there for a purpose. Don't fight him. Let him work. Let him work. The next thing that we're told on the the negative side of that is found in Ephesians chapter 4. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me this morning. We're told, do not quench the spirit, but then he says, do not grieve the spirit. We get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and we start here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, to give to others instead of taking from them. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This paragraph tells us our next step. Do not grieve the Spirit. Now, when we read that phrase at the beginning of verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? Remember, the Spirit of God is not some mysterious force out there. He is is a part of the triune God. And He can be grieved. So how do we do that? Well, this follows right in and connected to verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It sounds like it's connected to the way we talk to the way we speak to and about each other. The content of what we say, the character of what we say, reveals our hearts, doesn't it? And so this is talking about our speech. He says, be careful what you say. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that is not just sinful but is not helpful. Instead, speak in a way that builds each other up according to your needs and will bring blessing, grace, benefit to those who are listening to you, who hear it. So we've got to be careful in the way that we speak. But as you look through this whole paragraph, he's talking about speaking honestly, he's talking about speaking with kindness, he's talking about speaking with wisdom, and he walks through these things, but he's also talking about some other actions. So it's not just what we say, it's also what we do, how we live. And the whole thing is it's not just done in a vacuum, it's how we live and speak with each other and amongst people out there. What is the intent and the impact of our words on those who hear it? What is the impact of our actions on those who see it? So to grieve the Spirit of God is this. It is to drag Him along as I sin in the way I speak or in the way I live. The Spirit of God does not leave the believer, but he will grieve as a result of the activity of the believer. So don't drag him with me as I go. Don't drag him along as you sin in how you speak to and about other people, in how you act. Do not drag him along and grieve him and break the heart of God who sent his Son for those very things to redeem us from them. He also saying here, because of the context here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God as you sin, but also as that sin then damages the hearts and lives around you. As your children, as the kids at the church, as as, as a visitor, as, as someone who doesn't know Christ, as a, a new believer, as as somebody who's a close friend of that person, as people hear you speak, as people watch you act. Is there damage being done? That is sin, and it grieves the Spirit of God. So he says we cannot do that. If you look back to the beginning of this chapter, Ephesians 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, He's talking about the way we talk to each other, the way we interact with each other, the way we love each other. That's huge. There is no, just remind us again, there is no such thing as solitary Christians. We are called one at a time to repent of our sin, to turn and embrace Jesus. And what happens in that moment? We now join his family, a people for his name. And we are in this together. And we impact each other positively and or negatively. What did John 13 say? Jesus told us, they'll know you are mine by the love you have for each other and the way you show that to each other. That's how they'll, they'll know you're mine. So do not grieve the Spirit by sinful speech or conduct that really rebels against His leading. This same language is used in Isaiah 63. You can look at that this afternoon. Isaiah 63, 9-14. to 14. Speaking of the Exodus, how God all that God did to rescue his people and redeem them out of slavery and lead them out of Egypt. And as they got to the to out out of Egypt and he's walking them along, what did they do? They rebelled against him and they grieved his spirit. Paul is warning us: do not do this. The Holy Spirit is the manifestation of God's own presence with his people. Do not fight the spirit. to the Spirit, Don't quench what he's doing in your life or in someone else's life. And don't grieve him through your sin and through the impact of your sin on others. Well, that's how we're not to respond to the Spirit. And that's helpful as we look at that and say, well, I've got some things I can be watching for now and I need to guard against. But what's the other side of that? What's the opposite of that? What are the the positive things? Not that I'm supposed to eliminate, but now the positive things I'm supposed to pursue. Well, Paul goes on to tell us, do respond to the Spirit this way. Look over to Ephesians chapter 5, just across the page here. Ephesians chapter 5. Pastor Marty read this for us earlier. We'll begin at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. for Christ. Paul says we are to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18. He starts off by saying, and do not be drunk with wine. Why does he use that as, the, uh, as, as a picture here of showing us what not to do? Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be high with drugs or some other chemical. Anything that you would put in your body. Anything that you would surrender control of yourself to. Do not give control of yourself over to something else. It harms you and it harms others. Do not do that, but instead be filled with the Spirit, His presence, His power, His control, which always benefits you and others and honors God. That's why in 2 Timothy 1, Paul reminds us that we have been given a spirit of power and of love and of self control. Self control. We're to yield ourselves completely, body, mind, heart, the whole package, to the Lord our God, aren't we? It's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love Him with all of that, and we're to surrender to His Spirit the same way. Now he says here, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. When's the last time you used that word, debauchery? <clears throat> you know what that means? I'll tell you. It actually means wastefulness. Wastefulness. It means something in which there is no virtue and something that is a complete waste of time. So the next time somebody tells you, I was drinking or I was smoking or I was doing this and I was wasted, you can tell them, no, you weren't wasted, but boy, you're sure being wasted. Because you are wasting the gift of life and of time, the precious things that God has entrusted to you and all that he could do in and through you, and you're wasting it. That's that's what that term means. He says instead of that, we're to be filled with the Spirit. This is present tense. It really means be being filled by the Spirit and with the Spirit. Alistair Begg has a great example of this. He says, many followers of Jesus think that being filled with the Spirit is like a cannonball that's just being launched and shot out of this cannon. And that initially you get this huge blast of power that launches you on the way and then you are left completely on your own to slowly lose power or momentum over time and eventually just collapse and cause all kinds of damage when you do. That's not how it works. The Holy Spirit, as we are being filled with the Spirit, gives us a steady, ongoing, consistent, constant fuel for the journey. Continues to lead us right through to the end. He doesn't say, here's a little shot, now go live on your own and see how it works or how long it lasts. He walks with us. And we are to constantly be being filled. How do we do that? We yield to him. We yield control to him. We're surrendered to Him. We cooperate with His spirit. And so the question we ask is not, do I have enough of the Holy Spirit? If you're a follower of Jesus, you've got all the Holy Spirit you're going to get. The question is, how much of the Holy Spirit do, do, uh, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? Are you grieving Him? Are you quenching him? Are you holding him back? Our job is to surrender to Him for life, for service, for encouragement of each other, for the reshaping of our character, the transformation of our character. Now, I brought over here this morning four different gloves that I just found in my garage. I've got a baseball glove, I've got a ski glove, usually used for snow blowing winter mitten, and a work glove. I know it's clean, but that's okay. It's a work glove. <laughs> so there's four gloves. Do you know what they have in common? What do they have in common? They work for your, they, to do with your hand, right? They're, absolutely. What else do they have in common? Okay, they cover your hand. They also have in common the fact that they're mine. They also have in common the fact that they are absolutely lifeless and just laying there. Now, here's how they're different. They're made of different material. They're all made for a different purpose. They were all made at a different time and a different place, but they've been brought together at my house for my purposes and my benefit. And I've brought them. Together for that purpose. But they are absolutely useless and can do nothing on their own. Unless we do that. And now suddenly the glove comes to life. And it can do what it's there to do. This will catch no baseballs lying there. I put it here. And it will catch some all right but you see you see the difference they're absolutely useless and lifeless unless i put my life into them and use them for the purpose they were intended you and i in the body of christ are very different aren't we we've got different backgrounds different personalities different styles different preferences different age groups you name it we're very different but we're also very similar And the thing that we share is we're created by God, we're rescued by Jesus to be His people, a people for His name, and He's collected us together, not to just sit on a shelf, but that His Spirit might fill us and use us to accomplish His purposes. Isn't that an amazing privilege? That's what we've been granted. How do we know How do we know we're being filled with the Spirit? Well, if we're filled with the Spirit, it looks like we've put away falsehood. It looks like um, we're not angry in a sinful, sinful way. Looks like we're not stealing and cutting corners. Looks like we can tell by how we talk. Look at bitterness and wrath and anger. Oh, sorry, and that's back in the other passage. I'm still there. Look at this. Look carefully how you walk, not as wise but as unwise. Am I making good decisions? Am I understanding what the will of the Lord is? Am I giving control of myself to something else or to the Spirit of God? Am I addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs using the Word of God and, and hymns that will, will honor God and lift up the name of Christ and, and songs that will just encourage each other? We, we sang a hymn this morning. I don't think we sang any psalms this morning, did we? We sang, we sang a couple of hymns this morning. We sang some spiritual songs. Eric sang a spiritual song for us to what? To encourage us. From where? From Romans 8. Right? Are we using these things? Is this the song in my heart, the gratitude of my heart pouring out to the Lord and around others? It, it seems like, am I submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? It seems like we're given some clues here on what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To say, You have control and not me. Well, the last thing that I want us to see here today that we're told in terms of our response to the Spirit is found back in Galatians 5, where we were earlier in this series. Galatians chapter 5, and we'll look at verse 25. Galatians 5.25, we're told this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Maybe your translation says let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we're told to keep up with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, and that is all who are followers of Christ, all who are new creation, all who have forgiveness and life in His name, That's how we live. And so we have the the giver, the sustainer of spiritual life right here. If we live by the Spirit, and that's all true followers of Jesus, then what are we to do? We're to walk by the Spirit. We're to let Him be the governing authority over our conduct. And the grammar here in this verse is important. The grammar here says, walk. Let us walk by the Spirit. It speaks of being in a row. It speaks of a, a series. It speaks of following a course. Galatians 5.25 talks about spiritual follow the leader. If we live by the Spirit, let us stay in a row. Let us follow along in this series. Let us follow the course. Let us keep in step with the Spirit and follow where He leads as He leads. Let's walk with Him as He directs us. Now we're told earlier in this passage... In verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you're walking by the Spirit, He's going to lead you into righteous living. Verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. He's going to lead you into that righteous living, not by obeying a set of rules that are enforced from the outside, but by His presence within, producing the character of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit, and He produces that desire to walk in righteousness from the inside out. And He does it day by day by day by day. We're to keep in step with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. By the way, look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. It also shows up in our interactions, doesn't it, walking by the Spirit? So let me ask you this morning. As you think back to June when we started this series, what have you learned about the Holy Spirit? What have you learned about who He is and what He does? What He does for us, what He does in us, among us, and through us. What have you learned? But this isn't just merely information. I hope you've learned some good, helpful things. My question is, what am I going to do with it now? And brothers and sisters, I urge you. I urge you as the one sent by the Lord to shepherd you, I urge you, do not quench the work of the Spirit of God in your heart and in your life. Do not turn your back on the gifting He's given you. Do not refuse to listen to His promptings, to follow His guiding as He shapes you and gives you wisdom and decisions, and as He leads you in reshaping your character to make you like Christ. Do not quench the Spirit. It's like drinking Alka-Seltzer while it's still in a package. You just had a glass of water. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ as God is reshaping them, as God is teaching them, as the Spirit of God is equipping them for service. Don't squash that. Encourage it. Thank God for it and cheer them on. I urge you this morning, do not grieve the Spirit of God. That verse continues, with which you have been sealed unto the ultimate day of redemption. He is the one who says, you are God's, you've been set apart by God, to God, for God's purposes, and will ultimately one day see Him face to face and walk with Him forever. Isn't that great? He is the, the presence of God with you. Do not grieve Him in your sin the way you talk or the way you act. Do not grieve Him in the way your sin impacts those around you. Instead, oh, instead, friends, I plead with you, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be open to Him. Actively respond to His leading. Intentionally surrender every day. Jesus... And if you're actually going to follow me, truly follow me, you have to deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow me. That means every day when our feet hit the floor, what do we say? Jesus, today is not about me, it's about you. I'm done, lead on. Well, how do we finish that prayer? By saying, Holy Spirit, today is not about me. Today's about you. Lead on. Guide my steps, renew my mind, transform my life, shape me to be more like Jesus, and keep me from causing harm along the way. Lead me and guide me. Friends, keep in step with the Spirit. Stand in His righteousness. As we come to Christ, we now stand in His righteousness, but we're also called to live in it. So just as we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Amen? Here's my prayer. From my heart, for my home, for my church family. Here's my prayer. May God, by the presence and power of His Holy Spirit, accomplish His purposes in us and among us and through us for His glory, for the good of everyone in this room and the good of everyone in this town. May he do it as he renews our minds, transforms our lives, unites our hearts, and empowers our ministry. Not at Harrow Baptist Church, but look around as Harrow Baptist.